all hope is not lost. American manufacturing is coming back. We're coming back with a, a fury. The kids are going to be excited and we're going to lead this new wave thanks to people like you guys. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 46. Today, we have an absolutely fascinating individual that we're going to be chatting with. This guy is leading the new American manufacturing renaissance. You're going to hear me say that a a few times throughout this episode, but we're going to be sitting down with Andrew Crow today, and I'm probably more excited about what he's doing in manufacturing right now than any other company or technology out there. Reason being is his work is really taking on some of the biggest issues in the industry, from getting more people into unfilled jobs to making manufacturing more diverse across the board. Andrew is taking all of that on through the work he is doing by creating the Elevate Institute of Advanced Manufacturing Technologies. Now, I know I'm throwing around some big phrases, some big commitments so far, but let me go into this first. Here are the two things you can expect from this episode. The first half, we're going to get to know Andrew's path to manufacturing. We're going to hear his story that ultimately led him into manufacturring and what he's doing now, but it sets the context for the rest of the conversation. In the second half of the interview, we're really going to learn about Elevate. We're going to learn about the mission, how it's fostering collaboration between companies, educators, and youth, plus important stories and stats as to why manufacturing is so important and how it changes lives. We cover a lot of ground in today's episode, talk about a handful of resources, some fun resources as well. So I'd encourage you to check out the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 46 after this conversation is done. Before we jump into the interview, as always, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying the show. To get there, you can simply go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you straight to the platform where it's very easy to leave a review that's as short as a couple sentences long, and hitting that five-star button is even easier. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes would greatly appreciate it if you take the time, and we'll even give you a shout-out here in the intro with your review. Speaking of shout-outs, I do want to make mention of our newest sponsor here at the podcast, Trinet. You might have heard them back in episode 35. Trinet is a professional employer organization that provides small and medium-sized businesses with full-service HR solutions tailored by industry. This includes manufacturing. Our episode with Trinet was all about HR in the manufacturing sector, and I definitely encourage you to give them a look if your business needs help with benefits, risk mitigation, compliance, payroll, you name it. They are the HR resource. So if you want to learn more about them, check out manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Trinet. That'll take you straight to their manufacturing resource page. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation. It's a long one. It's a good one. And uh, to start things off, we've got some really good beer to tell you about. So let's get rolling. 
All right, let's raise a glass first, man. It's good to see you. Cheers. For sure, man. This is a long time coming, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm honored. I've been excited to have you on the show ever since I first heard about you through the Making Chips podcast. And, and by the way, to any of our listeners out there, if you haven't listened to that show yet, it's another great manufacturing podcast. Definitely check that out. But yeah, man, I mean, a lot in common, both St. Louis guys, you're still holding it down there. I'm I'm up here. I'm back in the Midwest, up, uh, up in Milwaukee, but not too far away. And man, I got to give you a proper introduction before we totally dive into it. So for those of you listening out there, our guest today is the leader of the new American manufacturing renaissance. He's also a speaker, brand energizer, and a strong proponent for diversity in manufacturing. After discovering the promise and potential of manufacturing after college, he's made his way through the industry and is not only an instructor of advanced manufacturing technology at Rankin Technical College in St. Louis, but he's truly at the forefront of the future of manufacturing as the creator of the Elevate Institute of Advanced Manufacturing Technologies, a program that began its mission by bringing awareness and representation to machining and manufacturing, but has become so much more. And that's what we're here to learn about today. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Andrew Crow. Welcome to the show, man. Man, thank you so much, man. I uh, I feel at home, no pun intended. I, well, I mean, we're certainly setting setting the setting right, because for those of you that can't see or those of you that are listening to the podcast, we're recording it on video, but you got your Cardinals gear on. I'm drinking out of my St. Louis Blues pint glass. Uh, you got some St. Louis beer. I've got my last St. Louis beer from Civil Life here. Now, you're drinking the Black is Beautiful. Where is that one from? So the Black is Beautiful is really cool, and it is actually a collaboration uh, between several St. Louis uh, local brewers and a coffee shop. So this is a stout and it is uh, from the hop shop and from Earthbound Brewing. And uh, this was their collaboration that they came out with in the summer. And they found out that I was doing the manufacturing happy hour and they had one in the stash and they made sure that, you know, I was able and, and I'm honored to do it to have this to crack with you on the show today. And uh, it makes it taste that much better that I'm doing it here with you with another St. Louis guy, man. It's awesome. I dig it, man. Yeah, I literally saved my last St. Louis beer I had in the fridge for this interview as well. And and shout out to two uh, Cherokee Street uh, institutions in St. Louis. You got the St. Louis Hop Shop as well as Earthbound Brewing. So um, I'm slightly jealous of that beer. I had a couple variations of the Black is Beautiful um, version over the summer because I think over a thousand breweries worldwide uh, brewed that beer. I don't know if I got Absolutely. to have that one, but uh, sounds tasty, a good way to get things going. And, you know, we always like to start the podcast kind of in a happy hour style fashion. So, you know, let's say you and I are able to be drinking in person at like Earthbound Brewing or at the hop shop right now. And, you know, we're just enjoying our drinks and someone comes up and and they ask you, Andrew, they're like, hey, man, you're really big on manufacturing. Like, why are you so big on it? Every time I see you, you're talking about it. Why is manufacturing so important to you? And why do you think it's important in general? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, having a drinks with someone, they probably seen me if they're out here on the South side, they are probably familiar with what I used to do out here, you know? So, um, you know, they would probably have that conversation and I tell them that, you know, this is what changed my life. You see that, you know, I'm no longer terrorizing these state streets out here like I did, uh, in my younger days. 
and the reason that I'm doing it is I found something that I had a passion for uh, that pays me well. And, you know, there's a career uh, that is ever growing and it's able, you know, to, to, to change your life as well, you know? So it, it, it really did bring me to a, a, another level of understanding and another level of life where, you know, I saw and, and was able to take on more opportunities and I want that for everybody. So it's hard not to talk about it because number one, our industry is so amazing. And, and number two, our city could really use all the benefits of, uh, you know, American manufacturing and where we're going in the future. Not only the jobs, but the innovation, we're the tech hub uh, of, of the United States, we're growing. And, you know, this is just another piece of the puzzle that fits in perfectly with that. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it'll help a lot of the issues that face our city right now that we love so much. Yeah. And I know we're talking in the context of St. Louis, but, you know, no doubt some of these challenges spur to other parts of the Midwest, especially other cities as well. So, you know, you mentioned a lot of good stuff there. Innovation Hub, Tech Hub of the U.S., the opportunities it's created. I'm excited to talk to all of this with you today. First thing I want to get into is understanding your story a little bit and kind of how you got to, to where you are today. So we're going to get into manufacturing soon, but first we want to get to know you. You know, as I understand it, manufacturing really wasn't on your radar until later in life. Tell me about Man. what it was like growing up and your experiences that eventually led you to manufacturing for sure man i'd be happy to and and manufacturing was not only not on my radar but you know when i got in i tried to run from it for a long time and it just kept pulling me back in so it, it became a big part of my life and you know i'm trying to bring it to the to the masses but um i started off a uh, typical st louis kid i didn't have um a father and i had a mother that worked really really hard to provide and a lot of um, black women out here in the world, unfortunately, uh, that are single have to face a lot of uh, strife and, and trouble in the world and, and pay disparity and all of these things. So uh, my mom worked like three jobs and she didn't really have a lot of time to be at home. And she, um, you know, did the best that she could to provide for us and, you know, give us the best that she could. But uh, because she had to be away from the home to, to you know, afford a good life for us, um, I found, you know, father figures and influence in the street, you know, um, when she started seeing me doing some of the things that, you know, she didn't raise me to do, I was, you know, put into sports and, and sports were kind of like my outlet. So I boxed and I played football and there's really never a sport that was going on that I wasn't in. I played soccer, anything that she could put me in, it kept me away from that environment and it gave me positive male role models that I didn't have. Right. And um, through sports, I started, you know, finding more people that were, um, you know, supportive of, of me and, and wanting me to, you know, have a better life than what I had. And, um, you know, I, I kind of got invited to go to better school districts, I'll say. And um, I went to Ladue High School and at Ladue High School, um, I was able to be in a different environment where my creativity could flourish and where, you know, they had the resources to really put behind, um, you know, the ideas and the programs that would help, you know, plant seeds for some of the creativity and the, the, the STEM things that, that uh, go into this field. So I still didn't know what it was. I still wasn't interested in it. Um, but 
the opportunities were kind of there uh, for me to do it. But one of the problems I feel like our community runs into is when we start showing some type of aptitude towards something, we're immediately pushed into that and, and we have to focus on that, right? So uh, sports was that for me, even though I was a really, really smart kid, right? So I was so smart that I would, and I don't want to, you know, pat myself on the back too much, but I was the kid that would be in class. I would fly through my work and I would just be bored, right? And I would get all A's, but my mind would keep going. So I'd bring like toys to school or I'd, you know, not pay attention to what the teachers got going on because I'm doing my own thing. And, you know, I got labeled like the ADHD kid, even though I had great grades, right? And I wasn't really able to, you know, foster that, you know, intellectual environment. Like, like I wasn't able to build that as much as I would have liked to at that time because I was an athlete, right? And I was a gifted athlete. Uh, we won state championships and track. Uh, football, we were state runner-up. We didn't lose too many games during my tenure there. And that's what I was pushed towards, you know? So um, that afforded me to go to college. And mm -hmm. I didn't have a support system around me that was um, knowledgeable about college. I didn't have like, you know, a lineage of people that went and graduated uh, from college or, you know, barely high school for real. So um, I was just the, the hope. And the American dream tells us if you go to a four-year university, all you really have to do is get in and, and, and you know, from there you get trained up. And when you leave, there'll be a job waiting for you, right? And the better school you go to, the better life you'll have. And that's kind of like what we're sold. So um, that's what I thought it was. And that's what my mom thought it was. You know, she worked hard to get me to the point that I would be accepted into college and I could even go to college. But that was the dream. College was the dream. It wasn't, you know, go to this school because they have the best engineering or, you know, you showed that you like this. So this is the best school for you or this is the route, right? Mm -hmm. It was just take this football and run with it. And, you know, it was free. So my mom was excited for that. She was happy for me. My family was happy for me. But I got on campus and I didn't know what to do besides play football. And, um, you know, I knew I was smart. So I knew whatever I, class I took, I'd do well in. But again, I wasn't excited about anything and I didn't really care. So um, first semester on campus, I um, my schedule was made by the football coaches. And... Uh, it was just regular gen ed classes just to get credits. And I would fly through those. Those were fine. And then it was time to declare a major. And I didn't know what to declare. I didn't know what to do. And I just thought about, you know, my, my home situation and how hard my mom worked to get me here. And I just said, I want to make some money. I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to make it or what, you know, um, major is going to get me there. So I just saw what I see on TV. The only people that I know around me with money are the drug dealers, you know, and, you know, the, the people that are doing wrong. And what I see on TV is, you know, lawyers and um, doctors. And I'm kind of squeamish, so I didn't want to be a doctor. So I said, pre-law, political science, that's the one for me because I'm going to make some money, you know, in law. I didn't know what, um, you know, what type of law I wanted to study. I had no idea, right? So uh, going through the classes, I saw that, you know, politics and laws not for me i didn't really like it right mm -hmm. and i just skated by and i got um i double majors in communications so i could have something that you know i could 
just go into. I had still had no idea what I was going to do. And um, I graduated and it was the turn of the economy and it was a recession. And yeah. all the while that I was at college, you know, I was taking the things that I was doing in the street and I was just using that as a new market for myself. Right. And basically I was, I was still selling drugs, you know, at school. So, um, I had built up a good reputation for that better than, you know, anything else. And I was like, you know, I can't get a job with these degrees. I'm just going to do this. And I was doing that for a while. And I had, uh, two small children. I looked at it like, you know, I can either keep perpetuating this thing, going in and out of jail, you know, living this life where, you know, I got to look over my shoulders and, and, you know, it's a cash hustle, it's, you know, whatever, or I can just go, you know, the, the, the straight and narrow route and look my kids in the face every day when I come home and they don't look at this as a business, you know what I'm saying? They don't look at this as a viable route. So I wanted to break generational curses. I wanted to start it with me because I looked at my kids in the face and because I didn't have a father, I just knew that that was my goal. I wanted to be a great dad. You know, if school's not going to work out, if football's not going to work out, I don't want to do this because dad is going to be my thing, right? And um, like I said, recession. Nobody could get jobs. There were no jobs hiring, uh, no matter what kind of education you had. And people were literally walking away from their homes. And, you know, it was bad. And my daughter's mother, her mother worked in a, a shop. And she said, you're a smart guy. We've got a position available. If you humble yourself and it's not beneath you, I can get you hired. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I had to feed my kids. And I was determined that I was going to be a, like, I wasn't going to be the person that got locked up, you know, and didn't mm -hmm. get the raise. So I took the job, third shift on the saw, cutting material, at this place called Impro Seal up in Illinois. And they were paying me like $12 an hour at the time. And it was money. I didn't know it was the bottom of the totem pole in the shop. I had no idea what a shop was. I never even thought about how things get made and make it to the shelves. Like I just assumed another country did that, brought it to us. And then it's just there. I really didn't care for real, you know? Mm -hmm. And I get in this place and it's like, my mind is blown. There's nobody there because it's third shift. I'm the material guy and I can just basically walk around and just look at everything. And it was like, you know, I was in a museum when it was closed and I got to just, you know, put my hands on everything and like, yeah, look at everything. And it was like, oh my goodness. And I finally felt like a fire inside myself. And I felt like, you know, I don't know what this is, but I want to know, you know, and I would watch the first shift people come as I was getting off and I would see like, you know, new motorcycles and, and, and new trailers with boats pull up and I'm watching the news and I'm going home and people are walking away from their mortgages. Like it's not adding up. And so that lit my fire even more. And I'm like, Hey, I want to be here. I, I see that the American dream I was sold didn't work out for me, you know, and it hasn't been working out for people that look like me 
and really people, period. Young people are in a position where we are the only ones that are trying to cash in this ticket and we're not getting what they've, what they've been selling us. And it worked for all of the people before us. So they're looking at us like, why, get, why can't you youngsters get it together? Why can't mm-hmm. you guys just come on and get with the program? And it's like, yo, we're trying. We're, we're, we did the process you told us to do. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, we're, and we're here with the ticket. We did it all. It says it. Where's, yeah. you know, help, where's the other end of the party? You know, we got nothing but debt. So, you know, this was, this was a, a uh, an eye opener for me and I was lucky to stumble upon it, you know? And then from there, um, I just, I just stayed four hours into the first shift. I started buying donuts for the old Polish guys <laughs> on the uh, manual machines yeah. and uh, coffee. And for a long time, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, the donuts didn't work. Like none of it worked. But I would just stand there with a notepad and I would just still take notes, take notes, take notes. And at the same time, I'm going to school for my master's degree. And like I said, I got a young family at home. So um, it was it was tough and it was tough to sacrifice that time and those hours unpaid to kind of learn, you know, this trade. But that's how much I wanted it, you know, and um, I got an opening. There was a position open on a cell where they had three CNC Doosan legs. And um, the company did same day shipping. So they needed that cell to run. And I stepped up. I was like, hey, I just worked eight hours. If it's not against OSHA regulations or anything, you know, I'll work another four. I'll work another eight if you need me to. But let me shoot, get my shot. Let me shoot my shot. And, you know, I don't know if it was the determination or the red orders that were coming. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a shot. And, you know, I never looked back and I just, you know, I've had a thirst for the industry and I, I've luckily been, you know, supported enough to where it's been, you know, drink after drink after drink that, that I could quench my thirst with. Yeah, man. Big story right there. A lot. A lot to go. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, 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 uh, well, it flows together. Cause here's, here's where my head is at right now. You talk about, you know, your, your mom's working three jobs. You get into, you're in school. You're kind of streamlined, encouraged to focus on sports because you're doing really well at it. You get to school and, you know, you're, you don't really have, you know, you're getting the degrees that you see. You see lawyers and doctors. That's what we see in the professional world. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in a family of teachers, so I didn't really see a lot of the manufacturing world either. You know, you mentioned yeah. after that, you leave school, it's the recession, you're in and out of trouble. And then, Eventually, you get your way into working on machines. Yes. Uh, the question I have to ask, what is the more straightforward path to getting someone into manufacturing now without having to go through all that turbulence and uncertainty? And is that part Man, of what you're up yes. to now? So, absolutely. And that and that's a great question. So I, um, you know, having gone through that and seeing it the hard way, I decided to be like the shortcut to the fountain. You know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, am, am working really hard. And that's where Elevate came from. I wanted to reach the kids, number one, and let them know that there's an industry out here that you don't have to pay a bunch of money to go to a, a, a college for four years. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, take on a bunch of debt. And there are a ton of jobs that are waiting for you right now as we speak. And it's tailored to what you guys have been doing. Industry 4.0 is on the way. It's here mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, we're moving from a skilled trade to a smart trade. 
most of these kids are going to be on tablets and everything that they grew up with anyway. So, you know, I'm out here getting the word out on that end. And at the same time, I'm on the other end with the companies like, hey, you guys need these workers right now and you want them trained up. You don't want kids that are going to come in. You're going to spend a bunch of money training them and not even know if they're going to stick around or have passion or even work out on these machines. And you need these things ran right now. You need three uh, programs printed right now. You need, you know, programs written right now. You know, you need people that can step in and run these things right now. So that's where Elevate kind of came from. I started off um, wanting to be that bridge to getting into the industry and getting, you know, the industry, the people that it needs immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to go to four year universities anymore or our industry is so advanced right now or that, you know, the need is so much right now where they're paying and they're sponsoring kids to go to school. So, you know, it's going to take care of a lot of that debt. A lot of these skills can be learned in, you know, two-year programs or apprenticeship programs. So you don't even necessarily have to go through the traditional school route to Mm -hmm. get your foot in the door. And that's the best thing about it. The entry-level jobs are paying $18 an hour. So, you know, the whole $15 minimum wage fight, you don't even have to involve, like, it's not even an issue, you know? So Mm -hmm. they're coming in entry level, high paying, and it gives you something to focus on outside of, you know, not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. And it gives you a a pure path. So I'm going to these kids, I'm getting them excited. Once I get them excited, I'm bringing them in and they're making cool stuff and it's planting those seeds and it's growing. And then I'm working with, with the tech schools like Rankin and I'm working with, you know, local manufacturers and mm-hmm. I'm providing a direct path to get them in. And if they want to take it on to the next level and they want to go to college, we're working with local universities as well so that we can help absorb those costs and the coworkers can absorb those costs for these kids to go on and, you know, become engineers or whatever. And then they'll have the job waiting for them, you know, as they work on their degrees or, you know, when they graduate. So um, that's kind of what's fine, Elevate. And the more that, you know, people like you, and people mm-hmm. like making chips and and these different, you know, uh, industry people that have platforms and, and, and see that this is something that is affecting the industry and will help the industry. Um, you guys have been really, really supportive. And every time that I get the platform and I get a chance to speak about it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people surround me and, and, and you know, they they offer their support and their resources. And this thing just keeps growing and getting bigger and bigger. And I'm so excited that I get to serve the industry in this way and serve a need that the industry needs. And mm-hmm. I get to also, you know, serve, you know, America in, in a different way with this job problem and this, you know, youth unemployment. And, you know, it's kind of like an ecosystem where we're shaking each other's hands and helping each yeah. other out. And it really feels good to be this bridge. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine-as-a-service company that's transforming the way end-users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, what is machine-as-a-service? 
Well, if you're familiar with other as-a-service business models, it works very similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties this investment to production output. The coolest thing is, machine builders win as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs can cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. Steam Chain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steam Chain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Kromicky. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. And now, back to today's episode. So if I'm understanding Elevate right, I mean, I, I see three really distinct parts to it. You've got your getting to the kids early. You are talking to companies and you're talking to the schools as well, like ranking in the technical schools. Am, Absolutely. Am I right in saying that those are kind of like the three legs to the stool? Is there another element I'm missing right now? Because I want to go into, into these in a little bit more detail because I want to make sure the audience out there kind of understands the how, you know, how do we make manufacturing accessible? Because what you're doing is fantastic and on a macro level, I, it's definitely the direction we need to go, but I, I want to make sure the manufacturing leaders out there that are listening know what can I do as a leader within my company, within, I, within my organization to kind of help these things as well. So um, I guess my question there being, um, how, how let's let's start with the kids. What are the things you do to get the kids into it? You mentioned you're bringing them into the shop. They're seeing how it works. You know, how, how does that work right out of the gate? So, so you're, you're exactly right. It, we're in a position in the industry where we don't have time to try to figure this thing out. We know that this is a problem. There's been like Deloitte studies and the Kelvy study, McKinsey studies and all of these studies since like early 2000 saying that, you know, we've got this gap and it's critical. Right. And we've been trying to figure out what to do for years and mm -hmm. people like Titan, thank God have, you know, popped up and, and really taking control of YouTube and these other channels early on that the kids were watching. And mm -hmm. he's kind of, you know, you know, kept us alive and started bubbling some of that stuff. And then, you know, people like you and, and, and podcasts like, you know, making chips and some other ones that are out there, you know, have, have made it more, um, more channels. We're on more mm -hmm. channels. Right. And in a big way, you know, it's not really, really cheesy, but because the effort, because the, 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 we're in such a critical phase, the effort has to be on multiple levels. When I go and I speak to companies, you know, most of what I hear is we want to fix this problem. We, mm -hmm. we, we've been trying, we've been spending a lot of money and what we do is we, we get kids and we bring them in or we get, you know, um, uh, women or people of color and we get mm -hmm. them into you know, our environment, but it's hard mm -hmm. to keep them or they'll go through training or they'll make some money for a little while and it's hard to keep them. And we just don't know what to do. So, you know, on one fold, I'm working with the companies to make sure that, you know, their, their environment is, is able to receive these people and the culture there is good enough 
um, and, and, you know, it, it's smooth enough for them to want to stay or at least feel like they have a voice and they are a part of the company and they're a part of that family, right? And on the other side, we've got to work with, you know, the schools and the kids and get them ready to go into an environment like this, right? So mm-hmm. there is, you know, a lot of social and, and systematic things that um, make it hard for the communication to happen on both levels because there's, you know, some misunderstandings that happen. And when you're breaking barriers like this, you know, whether it, it's a, a, a gender thing or, you know, a race thing or even just an age thing, and that's majority of what we're running into, you know, there's got to be work on both sides. And for a long time, there was a hand reaching out and then there started to be hands reaching back and coming in, but then they would get into the environment and say, Hey, do they really want us here? Because, you know, like for the kids, it's like everybody in here looks kind of like my dad and I don't want to work with my dad right now. Like I can't listen to headphones or at least one in, you know, the, the, the schedules aren't flexible, but I'm a really good worker. And there's just things that, that young people are looking at our industry and they're like, well, you know, I got in, I got a taste of it. I was excited about this, but maybe this will just be a hobby of mine and I'll go do something else, you know? So the work has to happen on both sides and it's got to be, you know, all encompassing. And I think that's the, the way that it's going to be most effective. The reason I'm very potent with the kids is, you know, because I, I, I am them, you know, I am showing them that, Hey, I got mm-hmm. no teeth. Like these don't come out. You know what I'm saying? Like this is for <laughs> real, you know, and I speak your language and I look like you and I can talk like you and I can teach you these things. And I was a bad kid. I got felonies. Like I can show you my grades. I, mm-hmm. I when I didn't care, I didn't care. And I understand what it means, you know, to, to be a smart person in an environment that's not going to foster that. And there's room for you here. And you can believe that there's room for you here because I'm here. And because I'm here at, you know, thank God, a higher level, they mm-hmm. can see themselves not just pushing buttons. They can say, oh man, he was a he was on the saw and then he moved to the CNCs and then he moved to programming. And then, you know, he started running shifts. That is mobility that I could have as well. You know, so um, there's a credibility thing there. And I don't look like their dad. I'm not their dad trying to sell them this cool company, you know, that's like, you know, your dad giving you a CD and like, Oh, this is my favorite rapper. Are you going to listen to it? No. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So, so, you know, and that's, that's across all walks of life. Like I, I, my, my class right now, um, we have one female student and, um, she's, uh, biracial. And then all the rest of my class are young white men from, you know, like suburb, not even suburb, like rural towns, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but they're all best friends and they all get along and, you know, they want to work in places that are diverse. You know, Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, I went to school with people that didn't look like me. I played basketball, baseball with people that didn't look like me. And I love it. Young people love culture. Young people, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to be involved in culture. So even, you know, when, when the demographic that we can always get young white males go into these, these uh, shops and these, these, these places now, even they're looking like, man, I want some diversity. I want some culture. You know, I, I want to work with people 
that that share different ideas and have different experiences. That's my life growing up. I don't want to come here and, you know, work with a bunch of old white guys. Yeah. So it sounds like everything you're saying at the ground level with the people coming into these schools, with the companies, everyone agrees that this is a problem and we need to address it. There's almost, you're, you're not running into that as the issue. No, what is- and that, that's one of the things that, that has been so encouraging. Like this started off, this started, this started off with me, number one, going to like, like I said, like boys and girls clubs, uh, the, the youth detention center and just talking about what I do and like, you know, kind of telling them there's a career path and, you know, trying to help kids get into ranking and, and get into this field and, you know, taking them on shop tours and different things like that. And then on the corporate side, um, I was getting booked to go speak with companies, uh, mm-hmm. boards of directors. And most of the conversations had been, we want to do it. We want to do it. We just want to, you know, do it the right way. And we want to make sure that if we, you know, put all of this effort and time into, you know, recruiting these people, we want them to stay, you know, and that's the problem that we've been having. So, you know, every time that, that, you know, like I said, I, I get the platform, or every time I go into a company, there's been no resistance at all. There's even companies like like Honeywell. Um, hopefully, I can say that. But but Honeywell sure. is one that you know they they come and they hire a lot of students. They're really forward thinking. And Honeywell, you know, told me like, we need you to get more women and people of color because we want to hire them. You know, we want them here, and it's all of our efforts, it's tough, you know, and they've been empowering. Everybody's been very, very empowering uh, because they know that it's going to benefit the industry in America in a great way, you know, so um, definitely haven't been running into any resistance. um, And and that was a surprise for me, a, a pleasant surprise. What's the biggest challenge you're running into right then or the biggest roadblock? You mentioned getting people to stay is a challenge right now, and that makes sense. But what 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 comes to mind is your biggest current roadblock? Hmm, let, me, let me think of how to put this. Because of all of the aspects that uh, this thing encompasses, so it encompasses jobs, every manufacturing job uh, that is available or that that becomes available um spurs seven to twelve in other supporting industries so it's a job thing companies are going to be getting really really good workers and they're going to be able to diversify their workforce which is going to you know exponentially um you know help their bottom line there's a lot of Mm -hmm. studies out there that talk about that and they're going to get the youth the youth is you know what we need and they're going to be 4.0 you know train all they're going to know is type tolerances and 4.0 stuff so when they get out into the field they won't just be ready to push buttons now but they'll be subject matter experts that are going to help you take your company into the next industry you know industrial revolution so you're going to get really great workers and then on the other side you know i'm in st louis so you know like i said this and like you said this is st louis is like dc it's like you know, Chicago is like Detroit. There's so many people when given an option in a clear, a clear path to, 
you know, a, a way out in a, in a better life on so many different levels. I don't have enough, you know, machines and space and all this stuff to serve all of the people that want to be served by this opportunity. So sorry, my masters are, are, are running around. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's good. This is, this is a, this is a real legit interview. I love the dogs in the background. <laughs> it's, yeah, absolutely. So, so it's, uh, you know, the more that I have the opportunity to have these, this platform again, it's like, you know, different city leaders call me and, you know, different companies. And the biggest barrier is I don't have enough capacity to help everybody that I want to help right now, but it's coming. And, you know, hopefully this is just a pilot and mm-hmm. we open up to elevate Chicago in the next two to three years with yeah. the support of our partners. And, and, and then it goes to DC and then it goes to all of these cities that are facing these same problems. And, you know, we start turning these things around and, you know, that innovation and that creation and all those great ideas that, you know, are in all of these places that haven't been, you know, served properly. We get to add that to the pot and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, America just takes off. And, and I'm really excited. And you can tell that I, I kind of get energized when I yeah. talk. About it. But, you know, it, it, it's amazing, you know, what I see for the future of American manufacturing. And it feels good to have so many people that see it, too, and, and want to help me get this thing, you know, going and, and big as it can be. So it can be impactful. I love it, man. And, and you're right. I think a lot of, you know, not only movements like you have going, but companies, it's it's that scaling, man. There's only so much of you that can go around. And and I'm glad to hear that you're getting the reception from folks that you could expand this beyond St. Louis and take, you know, the elevate formula, for lack of a better word, and, you know, enable that in a Chicago or in a D.C. or something like that. You know, it's great with what you're doing with the kids, with the companies and the schools, getting them aligned. You know, as we get towards the end of this conversation, no doubt there's a lot we could talk about. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely need a, Definitely need a part two. I'm long way to I, and I know I was talking I, to you, man. Like even even when when we you know we're just talking, setting it up. Like we went for a long time, and there yeah. was so much more that I want to talk about. So, man, awesome conversation. Well, well, next next time we got to crack beers at the hop shop when I'm back in St. Louis. I'm about to get Absolutely. a car, so I'll be uh, I'll be driving down there soon to see my parents. So, um, but I do oh, have man. a couple wrap up questions because some of the things that that you really, that really came that I was, I was thinking of as, as we talked before, you know, you gave me a statistic in one of our recent conversations where we talk about why this is so important. You mentioned that in terms of, you know, recidivism rates, you said that if someone's involved in manufacturing, you can drop an 82% recidivism rate to 9%. I think that's what it was. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And that is one of the most amazing things. So we look at the spike in crime and we look at people that, that commit crime. And oftentimes we find out that, you know, they don't really want to commit that crime. They see that as the Mm -hmm. only option that they have to feed people. And they've had, they've got a mindset, you know, of, of scarcity. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody else has it and I don't, and I have to feed people, I have to take it or, you know, whatever that may be. And I was one of those people, you know, and, and when you go through the system and you're part of the system, when you get out, there's really no support for you. Right. And you're still supposed to check in. You're still supposed to have a job. Mm-hmm. You got to pay, 
you know, when you check in and a lot of people get released back onto the street, they don't have a good support system because they in jail because they never had one anyway. And it's like, okay, I got to survive. I got to get a job. There's nothing around me to get a job. So that means I've got to get a car or a license if I can in a bus pass or something mm-hmm. to get somewhere. And then I'm a felon. So I've got to, you know, try to get hired somewhere with that on my background. Plus I still have to check in. Plus I still have to pay restitution and people lose hope and they turn back to the streets because that is the only way that they know how to make money. And mm-hmm. they end up in that cycle of continuing to commit crimes. Yeah. Even if they can get a job, the job isn't enough for them to pay their parole or, 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 you know, their parole officer to pay restitution to, you know, pay rent. You know, we have a living wage crisis as it is. And, you know, it's tough. So um, because manufacturing pays over $15 an hour, it is one of the only industries at a low barrier of entry that you can come in. They don't care for the most part if you're a felon. They don't care for the most part what your background look like. And, you know, nowadays they're getting more cool on what, you know, what your skin color is. So, um, you know, it's open. And at the end of the day, most smart companies are looking at margins and they're looking at production. And, you know, you can for one time be seen as a person that's producing, a person that's setting up machines, you know, a person that's writing good programs a person that's doing all of those things and making this company money instead of your mistakes that you made in the past. Right. Yeah. And you can make a wage good enough for you to, you know, pay your rent, take care of your, your PO officer and all of those things. Also on top of that, most, most, most companies have tuition reimbursement. So you can get back into school through this company and really explore your passion. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened for me. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, it sounds good and the numbers back it up. But I was was literally I'm a felon. You know, I took that path and it literally saved my life. So when I go tell these people that this is this can happen, I'm not just saying they see it and they follow it. Right. And, And when I when I go to, you know, companies and I tell them this is the type of worker that you could have. They can really become that. Look at me, you know, mm-hmm. it can happen, you know? Yeah. So they see that and they also see it's not, I'm not stuck. So I can get a job at McDonald's. I can get a job at Walgreens. I can get a job at, you know, whatever liquor store is around me, you know, whatever's around me, fast food, whatever, but I'll never become the manager. I'll never become you know, whatever it is, there's not that room to move up in manufacturing. You could start off as a, as a machinist. You can start off as an operator and mm-hmm. then become a setup guy. The more you learn and then, you know, they'll send you to school to, you know, uh, uh, go and, and get maybe an engineering degree and start doing CAD cam and, and different things like that. And then, you know, you can go into sales if you'd like to You can go into all these different things within every single industry and get paid a decent wage and benefits for it. And and it's important that they understand that, you know, this will help in that aspect. Right. And it's important that they're aware that this is something that they can come into 
and change their lives in that in that way. So um, it's and amazing. You, it's you amazing get, what happens. Yeah, not only in the context of your story, you're getting to see other people change their lives as well. Because your story is great, but you've mentioned you've seen this happen time and time again with other folks that get into this industry as well, too. Absolutely. So there's a gentleman that I started off with in uh, a program that we were running with the UAW. The UAW was working to reskill people and train people up in on-demand careers. And, you know, I aligned with them and they had a group of ex-offenders and they said, you know, we would like to see if we can run them through, um, you know, an eight week program and at least get them, uh, you know, able to operate machines and we can give them a, certi a certification through the UAW and then that'll help us try to place them and get them jobs. And, you know, I was excited about that. And I took these gentlemen and, you know, one of the gentlemen, he just really, you know, I, I saw myself in him and, and, and he's, he's one of those guys that, that is super smart and it wasn't, it wasn't fostered. He didn't have a platform. The kid's probably smarter than me. And, you know, everything I threw his way, he chopped it up and he, and he made it, he made it work. And now he is at, uh, I don't know if I can say the company, but he's at a company that I was working with on the other end. He has been there for, you know, three years going on his fourth year. He started off as an operator and now he's a, a fifth axis uh, programmer and he's in the aerospace industry. So, um, mm -hmm. He, he, his kids are going to private school. He has two cars. He married his wife and they just purchased their first home. So, you know, I am in three years in yeah. three years. And this guy, this guy, you know, he came to me, he came to me with no hope, with nothing, you know? And when he got his last promotion, he texted me a picture holding up his paperwork from 2017 of his release and yeah. he was like from three years of being a person with no hope and being a felon now i'm a fifth and sixth axis programmer at an aerospace company it's amazing it's amazing and, and what's even better is there are people in his neighborhood that were watching him there were kids in his neighborhood that looked up to him there are people that that saw him going to this program every day. There are people now that see him purchasing his first home. There are kids now that see who he was and, and what he is or that play with his kids. And they're like, wow, they get to go to the good school now, like all because his dad went to Elevate and went through the program. And, you know, that is a, a feeling that's unspeakable, man. And, and that's, they're going to break generational curses because of what they saw him do and that's what this thing is all about, man. That's incredible. Three years turning your life around through manufacturing and being a positive influence in the community after that, showing people what's possible. Man, that's huge. I don't know if there's a, I don't think there's anything better we can end on today, man. Again, we're going to, we're going to have to chat again in the future, but you know, what's a, what's a final parting word of advice or what's a good way to connect with you to leave the folks listening um, with today? Um, so you guys can find me on my LinkedIn, uh, search Andrew Crow. Our website for Elevate will be up shortly and um, we'll, we'll update you via my LinkedIn about that. 
Um, and just stay, stay excited, man. Stay excited about where our industry is going. Keep pushing this thing forward, um, you know, through how we're doing it. And, you know, all hope is not lost. American manufacturing is coming back. We're coming back with a, a fury. The kids are going to be excited and we're going to lead this new wave. Thanks to people like you guys. And, and it's going to be amazing. There's great times ahead for us. And, you know, I'm excited to be here. And I hope you guys are too. And I'll see you guys on part two. It's going to be a lot more lit in St. Louis. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for the love, man. I love it, man. I'm quoting you on that. All hope is not lost. American manufacturing is coming back. Hey, this is fun, man. It's been fun chatting with you leading up to this. Glad we got you on the show. And uh, I do need to make my way down to St. Louis to crack some brews with you sometime soon. So... Thanks a ton, Andrew, and for everyone out there, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again on the show next time. Cheers. Hey, hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Andrew for jumping on the show. Super excited for Elevate, excited to see how it evolves. If you get a chance, head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 46. I'll try to keep that updated as new things come out. And certainly, we do plan to do a part two when I'm able to make my way down to St. Louis and see what has developed with Andrew's new venture. If you liked today's episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Very easy to leave a five-star rating. Just hit that button, and the reviews don't have to be long either. As I always say, just needs to be as short as two sentences. Doesn't need to take much time, and I'll happily give you a shout-out on the show if you leave a written review. I also want to make sure I thank our sponsors for today's episode, Trinet and Steam Chain. First, Trinet, they are a professional employer organization that provides small and medium-sized businesses with HR solutions tailored to the manufacturing industry and beyond. Make sure to check them out at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 35 to hear our episode about all things HR in the manufacturing space. Then also want to thank Steam Chain, the machine as a service company, our premier sponsor here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. If you're looking to pay for results, pay for performance as you do with any as a service model, instead of paying for capital assets, definitely check Steam Chain out. You can hear them on episode five of Manufacturing Happy Hour, or you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Steam Chain, as well as you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Trinet to check out both of our sponsors, respectively. And with that, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.